Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. All right. I I want to go from, I'm going to, I guess, probably be concluding the theme of David. Um, and I, I want to go from a, it's a, 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 sort of the, the place where Helen left off. I want to pick up from there. And what Helen said really ministered to me personally because um, the issue of identity has been something that, that God has been working on me, uh, yeah, working with me on for several years now. And he's really just um, done a personal work in me. It, it's something with which I can totally resonate and uh, as we get into the Word of God today, I'm sure that as God expands that all the more in our hearts, we will come also to resonate with it in that way. Because the matter of identity is actually is actually a big deal. It's a massive, it's a massive deal, especially in the times that we live in. Let's go to First Samuel chapter 17, First Samuel 17, verse 28, and then from verse 42 to 47. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, and then we'll read from verse 42 to 47. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, and you can feel free to read along in any version that you like. Let's go ahead and read. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, that's David's oldest brother, heard and he spoke to the men. Uh, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. I want you to take note of what Eliab said there. And then we're going to go down to verse 42. Verse 42 says, And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I'm going to talk to us on something I have titled, My View of Me. That's picking up from where Helen left off. And I, I'd like to say that I will, I will certainly try my best to do this 
as much justice as I can in the next couple of minutes. However, I want you to understand that the responsibility falls to you to really dig in and discover who God says you are. It's, it's going to fall to you beyond now, beyond just this, the next maybe, I don't know, 40 or 35 minutes. It's going to fall to you. Um, this is just to whet your appetite. It's going, to, it's going to really fall to you to pursue that line that God has given to you and go on in discovering who God says you are because it can change everything about your life and how you perceive yourself and your reality. Um, I, I listened to what Helen said and I was tremendously blessed by it. And I will start off by buttressing some of what she has said uh, by talking to us about God's view of us. And then I will talk to us about why it is important for our views of ourselves to align with God's views of us. And then I will go on from there and talk about how we can align our, our views with God's view of us. Okay, so it's, it's important. On three, on three fronts, we're going to tackle this. We're going to buttress God's views of you. Okay, then we're going to come from there and we're going to talk about why it is important for your views of self to align with God's views of you. And then lastly, we'll talk about how to accomplish that. Okay, let's go into this. Let me start by telling you a story. Um, it, it's, it's a story that I, I really sought um, I feel very st- strongly that the Lord wants me to share with you because I don't share this story carelessly. It's, it's a very personal story. About a couple of months ago, uh, I was sitting at home one evening um, and my girls were home with me. My wife was driving back from work. I was already home and I was working on my computer on the breakfast bar. And as I was doing that, um, my, my eldest daughter came up to me and she had in her hand a um, a little sheet of paper where she had doodled something. My wife, my my elder daughter is always drawing something. She she is very artsy. She draws, she colors, she paints, and so on and so forth. And and she makes things uh, that she says are clothes. But sometimes you look at them and wonder if these are really clothes. In any case, there she was with her little work of art, art on this sheet of paper, and she presented it to me and said, "Daddy." Here's my drawing. And my first inclination was to say, okay, you know, honey, I'm a little bit busy right now. I'll look at it later on. But somehow I felt drawn to the picture. I just felt I would give her some attention. So I looked at the picture and I said, okay, what, what is this? Explain to me what I'm looking at here. And so she begins to explain to me. And she says, um, this is a picture of the dirty school. And this is a picture of the clean school. And this is a picture of the dirty school where girls and boys and girls whose skin are like mine go to. And this is the picture of the, of the clean school where uh, boys and girls which, with peach colored skin go to. Now immediately, I, and she said, well, this is, and this is a picture of me in the dirty school sweeping the floor, cleaning the, cleaning the, the dirty school. Immediately she said that, um, of course, that was the end of work for me for the day. I, I shoved aside all my things. I sat her down and um, I listened to what she had to say. Where are you getting this from? Where, where's this coming from? It turned out that um, they had been trying to teach them in school about segregation. 
she's a first grader. She's six years old. And um, they're teaching them about segregation and what happened back then. But because she goes to a predominantly, well, she's a minority in that school. Um, she's probably one of two or three students in her classroom who are of African descent. And so there she was. Uh, the way it affected her was quite different from the way it affected everyone else, which was rather insensitive of the school, I think. Uh, but I applaud what they're trying to do, and I give them the respect that they deserve. However, here's my daughter having this sense of um, this sense of inferiority injected into her. So I, I'd spend the next hour or so um, sort of reinforcing her strength of uh, sense of identity and her strength and um, telling her, well, you're beautiful. There's nothing wrong with you. You are, you are as God created you. God created you with intention and deliberately crafted you the way you are. You know, the Bible says you're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. When God was creating you, he took, he took special care to make sure that nothing went wrong. So that's who you are. I, I took about an hour just pumping into her, canceling out the things that she had learned um, or the things that what she had learned had done to her and just encouraging her and letting her know who she really is. Now, of course, the school heard from my wife and I uh, on the matter. Um, so uh, my wife and me on the matter, just um, not quite a week after that. But I say that story and I'll come back to it later on to help us to understand that how we view ourselves really matters. And my wife, a, a family friend of ours, was talking to me um, and was saying to me that when he was in school, his guidance counselor had suggested to him that he his future career might be um, that he would be a trash man or a garbage man, which obviously was not what he was planning on. But when you tell a child something like that, it begins to craft his sense of identity. And if there isn't pushback against it, then it might actually culminate in that. Because how we view ourselves really does matter. Now, we see in this story David being challenged. Now, David is a man whom up until now was the man who would be king. He knew that because that was pronounced over him. God said, you will be king. He knew what God, what God said about him. He, had, he knew what God's views were of him up until this point. But then at this point, this pivotal point in his life, his identity is challenged by a situation and by some individuals. And he had the option of lying down and taking the abuse or refuting what had been said contrary to what God had said about him. And every one of us gets to that juncture in our lives, probably even daily on, on some occasions or in some seasons, where you have to refute what life is saying about you or what circumstances are saying about you or what individuals, the world, or even the devil is trying to make you believe about yourself. And so we're going to start, I want to start first of all by talking a bit uh, just to buttress what Helena said about God's view of you, how God views you. I want you to understand that you're a big deal where God is concerned. And a bit of God's uh, view about you is this, that God views you as a creature of unspeakable value and unspeakable uh, dignity. 
tremendous dignity has been in, in, invested in you as a child of God. When you become a child of God, in fact, in God's original plan for humanity, God invested tremendous treasure in us. Let's let's look in the Word of God. And I like to break it down in this way because it's a it's a very simple way for us to understand how valuable you are where God is concerned. First, I, I was you know I was with a church uh, in Canada sometime last year, and I I asked the congregation if they would engage me in, in a little game, uh, as it were, and they. They indicated that they would be interested in doing so. So I, I asked them a question. I said, listen, guys, how if how many of you, if I offered you a million dollars, would sell me your left eye? I would pay you a million dollars, write you a check, and right away pluck out your left eye. If you're interested, let me see your hand go up. I think maybe one hand went up. Then I said, okay, fine. If I up the ante and I say, I'm going to pay you $10 million, for your left eye and you're willing to yield let me see your hand up and i think maybe about two more hands went up and then i went up even higher i said if I, what about if i go for a hundred million dollars 100 million dollars for your left eye just the left one not both of them just the left one at least you can see out of your right eye if you lose your left eye so if you give me your left eye you should still be in pretty good shape and surprisingly by the time we went up to a hundred a hundred million dollars Maybe, I think, four hands were up in the whole church. And so I, I, start, I started by turning to those whose hands remained down, and I asked them, I said, guys, $100 million is a lot of money. Um, are you really sure that you wouldn't be interested in selling your left eye for $100 million? And they seemed pretty resolute. They weren't interested. So, <laughs> so I asked them the next question, the follow-up question, why? Why wouldn't you be interested in selling me your left eye for uh, $100 million. And someone said the answer that I was looking for. The person said, because it's irreplaceable. Um, my left eye cannot be replaced. So even if you give me $100 million, I couldn't go somewhere else and purchase another left eye that works the way this one does. And he was right. Because it's irreplaceable, the value is also extremely expensive. In fact, if we are to believe biologists, we should, which we should most of the time, um, your, your eye, one of your eyes, just one eye, has more moving parts, more active parts than a Boeing 747. And even a Boeing 747 costs about $200 million. So you would be paying far less for something far more valuable than what you're paying for it. Or you would be selling for something uh, far less valuable than what the eye actually costs. Now, I'm saying this to help you understand something. Your body is extremely valuable. And your body is actually the least valuable component of your being. Your body is valuable, okay? If someone offered you a billion dollars, I, I don't think they could purchase your body or you would be willing to sell your body to them and live outside your body. I don't think anyone is, is weird enough to take that deal. Um, because... You need a body to actually enjoy the money, right? So <laughs> that's a no deal. Please no. Uh, and that's the least valuable portion of your being, the least valuable component of your being, because your body, soul, and spirit. Now, as with everything that is valuable, the va more valuable things are hid. So your soul, which no one can really see, and your spirit, which no one can really see except without aid, except with aid from uh, the supernatural, 
are exceedingly more valuable than your body. Your soul, for example, Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Mark 8, 36, Jesus says, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So Jesus is saying in earnest here that if you, if you put a soul on the scale and you put the entire universe on another side of the scale, that soul, the littlest of souls, weighs more than the entire universe in God's sight. It costs more. There is more investment in one soul than there is in the entire universe. Listen, listen. There are three words used in the New Testament to, uh, to interpret or to, in the, in the original, uh, Greek that is interpreted world in the New Testament. Okay. The first one is aeon, which is, which refers to age. So when it says, you know, uh, the God of this present world, He's actually talking about Aeon, the god of this present age. He's talking about the devil, okay, the god of this age, the age of corruption. That's it's a it's a it's world in sense of a time frame, okay, in terms of a realm in time. That's Aeon, and then there is um, Oikumene, which is um, Earth, the globe, okay. Um, Oikumene is it's it refers to the globe and it refers to the Earth. And so when, when, but in this part, when God says, when Jesus says, what shall he profit a man if he should gain the whole world? That whole world there is, is not, is not aeon and it's not eukumena. It is cosmos. Cosmos is the entire universe, not just earth. Now, if Jesus had said, if you gain the whole earth and you lose your soul, you're still a loser. And he, he weighs the soul of a man against the earth. That's still pretty valuable. Okay. Because according to economists, the earth is worth 200,000 uh, trillion dollars. That's the estimated value, property value of the earth. 200,000 trillion dollars. That's two with 17 zeros. It's a lot of money. Uh, and for context, if you spent a million a day for every day of your life, it will take you 2000 years to spend one trillion dollars. Now multiply that by 200,000. That's how much we're dealing with. But God says, not just that. Take that value and multiply it infinitely because infinite amounts of planets in the universe, infinite suns, infinite stars and moons, multiply all that. It still does not compare to the value that has been invested in one soul. So you're a person of tremendous value where God is concerned. Uh, God has invested tremendous value in you and he views you as being a person of tremendous value and immeasurable dignity. Secondly, God views you, just to buttress what has been said by Helen, God views you as an individual worth talking about. Uh, and that's really saying a lot because God doesn't use words just flippantly. God uses words with intention. In fact, there are very few people in scriptures um, whose names God pronounced with his mouth. There are few people, very few people, whose names God pronounced with his mouth. In fact, I'm always impressed by the story of Jacob because when God said to Jacob, what is your name? God already knew Jacob's name, but God wanted him to be the one to say his name. And God would pronounce the new name. One of the reasons why that is so is because when God says something, it is, it is immediately an order. It is immediately a command. 
it has to come to pass. The word of God has creative power and creative life in it to bring things to pass. So shall my word be that goeth forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish the thing that I've sent it to. It will prosper in that thing as well. So when God speaks, it is a matter of creation. He, he speaks to create. So when he says, your name is Jacob, then that, that man, Jacob, would have been a deceiver for the rest of his life. But God said to Jacob, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is now Israel. And, and so when God says, uh, speaks about something, it's, it's a big deal. It's a massive deal, in fact. God doesn't just speak flippantly. It's impressive when God actually says something about some, someone or something. Now, I say that to say this. We find in scriptures that God invests a lot in speaking about the identity of the believer, the identity of you, the son of God, and you, the daughter of God. He says a lot about it. I mean, he just consistently speaks about it. When you look in scriptures, in fact, very often, when God reveals himself to a person, he not only reveals himself, but he reveals to that person their own selves. I can give you many examples from scriptures. Genesis chapter 17 from verse 1 to 3. Genesis 17, 1 to 3, God appears to Abraham and says to Abraham, or Abraham at the time, I am the almighty God, or El Shaddai. Walk before me and be perfect. And then he goes on to say, now I will make you a father of many nations. And at the end of that encounter, Abraham's name is changed to Abraham. And God says to him, this is who you are. You're a father of many nations. So God reveals to Abraham, not only God, but God re reveals to Abraham his own self, his identity. You go further and you come to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32, if you look from verse 27 to 28, God appears to Jacob and God says to Jacob, after they have had this encounter, your name shall no longer be um, Jacob, it will now be Israel, because as a prince you have power with God or you've struggled with God, you've prevailed with, with, with God and with man. God had to repeat that encounter in Genesis 35 with Jacob to re-emphasize to him that his name would no longer be Jacob, but now Israel. See, so God not only revealed himself to Jacob, God revealed Jacob to himself. Isaiah chapter 6 from verse 1. If you read from verse 1 to 10 of Isaiah chapter 6, you see something similar there. God reveals himself to Isaiah. And in that whole picture, God shows Isaiah himself. And for the first time, he sees himself as a man with unclean lips, living in the midst of people with unclean lips. So he sees not only the glory of God and God's own, own revelation there, he sees also himself in, the, in that picture as well. In Matthew 16, from verse 13 to 18, Matthew 16, 13 to 18, Jesus says to Peter, your name will no longer be Peter. Your name will be the rock because Peter had, re had received the revelation of who Jesus was. He says, well, let's move beyond that. Let me tell you who you are. You are the rock. At which point... Uh, at this point in Peter's life, he was still pretty cowardly. But Jesus said to him, you are the rock. This is who you are going to become. This is your identity. So not only did flesh and blood not reveal to you who I am, now I am revealing to you who you are as well. You are the rock. And so we see this consistently. We see it with Jeremiah. We see it with, with Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. And we see God invested heavily in proclaiming the identity of the believer to him. Now, let's stop there with regards to God's view of you. Because the challenge, if you're a child of God, is not really how God views you. 
as uh, so much as it is how you view yourself. Okay, because how God views you, that is a constant that doesn't change. That is settled forever in heaven. God's perspective of you, God's view of you, does not vacillate. He is he, he's gone after all, and he doesn't change. He knows what you are. He knows who you are. He knows who, who he has created you to be. And his perspective and view of you, like Helen said um, last week, does not. It's 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 based on what he created you or how he created you in the first place. Like his like Helen's bowls. Uh, she knows she knows what that bowl is for, and Boye knows what his bowl is for. Now, in in the Word of God, God is not does not change his perspective or his stance on your identity, on what he feels about you, or how he feels about you, how he views you, or what he says about you. The issue, therefore, the challenge, therefore, lies with how you view yourself. Because no matter how great God views you, if you do not see that, or if your views do not align with that, then you couldn't, you couldn't begin to benefit from God's view of you. And I'll, I'll explain myself in a little bit. Just, just be patient with me. Let's look in the Word of God here. I want you to understand something from the Word of God. That it's why it's about why it's important for your views to align with God's views of you. And what I want you to understand is this: that life, the world, the enemy, circumstances in life do not respond to your identity. Okay? They respond to your understanding of identity. They respond to your perspective of yourself, your understanding of who you are. And that might be a little bit difficult to understand. But just stay with me for a bit. Uh, how many of you have ever come across a dog? Okay, you're walking on the streets. And how many of you are scared of dogs? Okay, I'm not scared of dogs, not anymore. But if you're scared of dogs and you walk on the streets and you come across a dog and the dog begins to harass you and begins to bark at you and you just keep walking, the dog is not likely to do anything but bark. But the moment you turn around and you run, that's it. It doesn't matter how small the dog is, what will happen? The dog will chase after you. They'll run after you. Why? It's not responding to your identity because your identity is you're a human being. You can kick that dog. You can, you can get a hammer and whack it over its head. You have, you know, opposable thumbs. Uh, you're, you're in every way superior in terms of wisdom and possibly for most people's strength than that dog is or superior to that dog. But the dog is not responding to that. It's responding to your understanding of who you are. So if you do not understand who you are, you turn and you run, the dog will come after you and possibly bite you. And then you keep being scared of the dog. That's life. Life does not respond to your identity. It responds to your understanding of your identity. That's why it's really important for your, your views to line up with God's views of you. Judges chapter 6 verse 12. Judges chapter 6 verse 12, God uh, encounters a man by the name of Gideon and Gideon is hiding and threshing wheat where, you know, he, he can't be seen because he's scared of what will happen if the Midianites um, have at him. And God appears to me, uh, Gideon and, uh, through an angel and says, you're a mighty man of valor. <laughs> the Lord is with you. And Gideon is like... <laughs> Excuse me, but I don't see that. And I thought the angel would say, no, duh. I mean, if you don't see that, that's why you're where you are right now. 
Okay, that's why you're in this position right now, hiding and threshing with. Because if you saw who you are, then you would life would not be treating you this way. Life would respond to your understanding of identity. In Numbers chapter 30, uh, 13, verses 31 to 33, Numbers 13, 31 to 33, is a very interesting story. Uh, <laughs> this is a story that it really shakes me every time I see. Look at what it says. Prior to this, Moses had sent 12 spies to go and spy the promised land. And they went and they saw, and they came back and they gave their report. And 10 of them said, listen guys, we cannot take this land because the people there, they are mighty. They're big, they're giants, they're strong, they're well fortified, and so on and so forth. And then they said something really interesting. They said, when we saw them, we were as grasshoppers in our eyes, in our own eyes. And then we were as grasshoppers in their own eyes as well. I think the order is relevant. That they said first, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. That's the first thing. Okay. But then before long, they began to see us as grasshoppers as well. And that's exactly life for you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter who God has created you to be. What God has imparted to you. If you do not see that and if your views do not align with God's views about you, life will chew you up and spit you out. It will treat you exactly as you see yourself. Nothing less and nothing more. If you see, if, if, if you see yourself be life responding to you in such a way, you need to just take a look inward, introspect, and see how I view, how do I view myself? Okay, why, why does life feel like it has the right to treat me this way? Why does the enemy feel like he has the right to come, come into my home and toy around with me? Uh, like, like I'm his plaything. How do I see or how do I view myself in this aspect of life? So it's really important that we align our um, our views with God's views of us because life does not respond to identity. Life responds to our understanding of it. Now, another reason why it's important for your view to align with God's view of you is because that is because you have the power of free will in all creation, in all terrestrial uh, terrestrial creation. No other creature has the ability to disagree with God. Only man, only humanity. Um, only humanity can God say, be, and will respond, I do not want to be. Everything else, if God says, be, they will be. Uh, if God says to the, to the, um, to the lion or to the, uh, to the animals of the field, this is who you are and this is what you do, that's exactly what they will do. They will obey. If God says to the rocks, if God says to the uh, to the oceans, this is your purpose, this is your identity, that's exactly what it will be. But man has free will because we are created in God's image. We have been privileged, endowed with the power of free will. So if God says, this is who you are, and, and has a certain view of you, and you refuse to agree accept or align with that, then you've absolved God of responsibility entirely and you're taking perfect responsibility for your own choices because you have the choice to decide if you want to agree with or disagree with who God says you are. The Word of God says in the book of Deuteronomy 30, 13, 
Deuteronomy 30, 13, I set before you this day, life and death, choose life. God is saying, listen, you have the choice, okay? I cannot make you choose life, but I wish you would, but I'm setting this choice before you. So you have the power of free will. Therefore, it is very important for you to align with uh, your, your identity or align your views of self with God's views of you. Now, let's talk about how. We've talked about a little bit about God's views of you. We've talked about a little bit about why it's important for your views to align with God's views. Let's talk about how you can. I guess the first thing is you've got to know. You simply must know. And this is where we, we many times miss it, is that we do not know. I think that's the starting point. When you know who God says you are, when you understand the crux of your, of your, of your identity in God, like David did here, because David wasn't about to take anything. Now, you look in the situation with David in this story, you find that his elder brother, his eldest brother, is saying, why are you here? You're here because you want to see the battle. He's, he's tagging David something. He's calling David a busybody. Okay, But that's not David's identity. And David refused to yield to that. And then came Goliath. And Goliath said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field today. Goliath is calling David a prey, okay, prey. And David refused again to align with that. He rejected that. He refuted that. He stood against that and he agreed with God's view or he aligned his own view of self with God's view of him. And here's the thing. If there is disparity, if there's a disparity between your view of yourself and God's view of you, you're going to run into problems. If God is saying something about you and you're saying something completely different about yourself, if there are discrepancies there, you're going to run into problems. But how can you align with God's view of you? Number one, you've got to, you simply have to know, okay? <laughs> you've got to get to the word of God. I've, I've always told them at New Song, and this is a theme that we are tackling at New Song at, at, uh, this month as well. And it just, again, lined up beautifully as I, uh, as I heard uh, Helen teaching about this, because it's something that I feel is very dear to the heart of God. You've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to know what God says about you. If you don't, you are the only one who pays the price. Because if you don't know who God says you are, then you become, uh, you become an easy prey. You become victimized easily. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 13. Isaiah 5 13. The Word of God says, My people are carried away. They are carried away into captivity because they lack knowledge. It says their mighty men are famished. Because they lack knowledge. The Word of God says, in the book of Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, Hosea 4, 6, the Bible says there, it says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. And so when you lack knowledge about who God says you are, then life will begin to impose its own ideas on you. Then your, your views will come into play that are just completely warped, perverted, and of course fallen. And then you'll absorb everything, you'll take all the abuse, and you'll be, sub you'll be subjected to all kinds and all manner of abuse by the enemy and by life as you know it. And so, it's one way in which you can begin to align uh, with God's view of you is that you've simply got to know. I I'll build on an example that Pastor Digi gave when he taught that teaching, um, Waiting Pains. He said, listen, if, if someone were poor all their lives and uh, all his life and he was given a a bank draft for a million dollars. Okay, his life should change automatically. 
Let me build that a little bit more. Say you had a distant uncle and that uncle of yours died and left everything to you. And this uncle happened to be a billionaire and um, you didn't know about it. But here you are, okay, um, trying to figure out how to take care of rent for next next month or pay your mortgage for next month. You Here you are, having been forelooked from work because of the... Uh, the COVID-19 lockdown, you're just seated there at home wondering and under the abuse of all manner of anxiety. But you, you are already a billionaire. You just don't know it yet. Uh, if, you, if you didn't know, then you couldn't possibly begin to act it out. Life will treat you according to your understanding of your circumstance, of, of your identity. And so, any kind of abuse that comes, they will come and they will put put uh, give you a a little notice that says a colored sheet of paper that says you're going to show up in court and defend why you haven't paid rent and you'll begin to quake and you begin to shake. But if you did know, that wouldn't be your portion at all. You would be completely you'll be completely settled in your spirit. So that's the first thing you've got to know. What God says about who you are, you've got to know. And the second thing beyond knowing, you've got to believe God. Uh, and this is. This is rather important because believing God is something that sometimes we struggle with because some of the things that God says about us are, they're a little bit difficult for us to, to absorb. We, we, we hear them and it's head knowledge, but it hasn't settled into our hearts to become part of our reality. The word of God says in Romans chapter 3 verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. What that means is this. And let me tell you this. <laughs> if you are not perfectly rooted in who you are and in your identity and who God says you are, if you do not accept, align with the views of God uh, concerning you, everyone will try to tell you who you are. And you might begin to lean in one direction or the other, contrary to what God says about you. It happened to John the Baptist. They came to him and they asked who he was and they began to guess who he was and said, are you, are you the Messiah? Are you this? Are you that? He says, no. And then he finally opened his mouth and he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. It happened to Jesus. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They say, you're a liar. You're Jeremiah. Elias, you're Jeremiah. You're that prophet. No, no, no. He knew who he was. And on and on and on. So life would begin to try to de- define you. And it's intended by design to do that. If you yourself are not perfectly grounded. Now, what, what the Word of God is saying here about let God be true and let every man a liar is simply this. When you know who God says you are, or when you've come to know it, situations will begin to challenge that just like it did here with David when his brother challenged him and Goliath did. Situations will pit themselves against you contrary to the Word of God, exactly opposite of what God says about you. It becomes you to stand on this word and say, let God be true and every circumstance or situation a liar. Let God be true and my own feelings be a liar. Let me be a liar. But God is still true. You've simply got to be dogged in your trust and in your faith in God. You believe what he says about you. Now, it seems very cliche. No, believe. But trust me, it is powerful when you act on it. And then that's the, that brings me to the third thing, which is don't just know and believe and sit down arbitrarily, act on what you say you believe. The Word of God says, after all, that faith without works is dead. 
And so don't just say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Act on it. Okay? Start the generator. Get working. You know, after there was that exchange of words between Goliath and David, David said, well, this is what you believe, right? But this is what I believe. I believe that you're coming against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. God will give me to you and so on and so forth. David didn't just stop there. He, the word of God says that he ran towards Goliath. He took action. You've got to take action. You've got to stand on what you, what it is you believe and walk in what you believe. If you don't, then it's just words. You're just, just engaging cliches and platitudes and speaking Christianese. It's not just claim it, name it. You've got to actually act on what you say you believe. The word of God says, let us not be hearers of the word only, uh, deceiving our own selves, but be doers also of the word of God. So don't just say, I believe God. I know the word of God. I can quote scriptures. I believe what the word of God says. But then you, know, you take no action to prove that. And I'll end with a story that I've, I've shared with the folks at New Song. Um, it's a it's an allegory, and I must have read it some time ago, or I came up with this. I don't exactly remember which one, but uh, it's an allegory. I don't. I cannot cite the source uh, to you. And it's the story of this hunter who goes into the wilderness or the forest, and upon encountering a lion, uh, killed the lion. Actually. Let me tell you a different one. Let me tell you a story that is that is similar to that one, but is an, an old African allegory, an old African parable. There was uh, a hunter, again, went to the wilderness and encountered an eagle and killed the eagle. And upon killing the eagle, found its nest and found a little baby eagle there, an eaglet or a chick, and brought that little eaglet home and raised it amongst the 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 livestock, the poultry, the chicken, the geese, and the duck. And um, they ate the same things. They ate the same feed. They roamed around, waddled around um, merrily. And it, it, it grew up with the chicken thinking it was one of them. Uh, and as it grew up, it began to realize that it was slightly larger than, than his, than his um, mates and his colleagues. And he was teased for that, but... He got comfortable with the idea uh, pretty soon. And then, he, as he grew up, he, became, uh, he began to realize that he was a little stronger than they were and also became comfortable with that after a little while. But then, he, he would, amongst his friends and his little siblings, would look up from time to time and see these birds very high up in the air with their wings spread out, and they will begin to fantasize. His siblings will begin to fantasize and to say, well, I wish I could just fly away like that and stretch my wings wide and just, just be carried on the wings of the wind and just detach from this reality into this peaceful existence. And he would fantasize along with them and say, well, I wish I could do that soon, just go away peacefully. How tranquil would that be if I just stretch my wings and just go up into the sky fly into the clouds and, you know, taste the clouds and so on and so forth. And there he, he continued to fantasize. And then one day after, you know, many years, the same thing began to happen where he uh, began to fantasize when he saw an eagle and uh, flying in the air with its wings spread and uh, his brothers, his, his cousins and his little uh, chicken friends were fantasizing along with him and saying, oh, I wish... 
I could fly. Look at my wings, how short they are, the first one said. And he stretched his wings. And then the second one said, well, my wings are a little bit larger than yours, but I still can't, I couldn't do that. So he stretched his wings. And then he, being the third one, said, yes, I wish I could do that too, but look at my wings, they're just too short. And he stretched his wings out all the way for the very first time in his life. And all his siblings looked at him in awe as they saw his 10 feet wings from tip to tip. And he also looked and saw how massive his wings were and wondered what's going on here. And for the first time, he realized, I'm not like these guys. I'm, 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 I'm meant for bigger things. But he didn't stop there. He began to flap his wings. And before long, he was up in the air and began to go up higher and higher. And before he knew it, he was soaring like those other birds. Now, the same thing applies to you as a child of God. God wants you to know your, your, your identity, his view of you. He wants you to accept it, embrace it, believe it. And he wants you to act on those things that you know. Let's bow our heads where we pray. Um, I, I want to give you an opportunity if you haven't given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and you would like to. Everything that we've talked about here is beyond the reach of, of, of the natural man. The natural man doesn't have access to the deeper things of God because of our fallen nature. But God gives you a path, a connect, to connect with that, to become everything that he wants you to become. And that path and that bridge is Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is accept or make the choice. You're a creature of free will. You have to make the choice that I want to come out of my current state of identity and come into the identity that God has for me. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.